This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Well, good evening. This is Brother Matthew, and I am excited about getting into our Heavenly Father's Word tonight. I want to talk about, begin talking about, a subject that I believe is of extreme importance, and that is the subject of marriage in particular, the subject of husbands loving their wives, of a man getting married to a wife and loving that wife as the Messiah loves the assembly. You know, I'm just a young man. I'm 32 years old. And here I am teaching about how husbands ought to love their wives. And a lot of people might be questioning how a man as young as myself, I consider myself to be young. It seems as though the older that I get, the more I find that there are people that call me sir and call me older than they are. And it feels kind of awkward because I'm getting, I guess, further up in years. But I still would consider myself to be a young fella at 32. But people would probably wonder how could I even begin to know what it means to love your wife? And I understand why someone would say that. So I want to explain my situation in just a little bit of detail. I've been married to my beautiful wife for almost 16 years. Now, back in the day, uh, people used to get married at the age that I married her much more frequently. Nobody would wait until they were even in their 20s, much less 32 years old, to get married, even in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Now, not only have I been married for this amount of time, I also have five children. My children range from the age of four years old to my daughter, who is the oldest of my children, who just recently turned 15. So I have five children, and I've been married for almost 16 years. Now, my reason for stating all of this is that even though I'm still learning about what it means to be a husband to a wife and also a husband to a mother of five children, I do have at least a little bit of experience, as they say, under my belt. I'm not a single guy who lives by himself trying to tell all the married people what they must do to have a wonderful marriage. You know, I once heard of a book where the author spoke of how couples could have the best marriage on earth, and I soon found out that the author was not married. And I just could not comprehend then, nor can I comprehend now, how an unmarried person could teach a married person about how to have a great marriage. I suppose that it's possible in some aspects and in some sense, but it seemed odd then, and it seems odd now. It seems to me that it's better to look to people who have experience in the subject matter. So all husbands should be constantly learning about being a better husband. I think about that all the time. What can I do to be a better husband to my wife? And this goes for whether you've been married for five years 
or whether you've been married for 50 years. You know, I've talked to a few husbands who have been married to their wives for 50 plus years. I've actually had the privilege of meeting couples that have been married for that long. And this strand of a couple or this strand of a man is becoming more and more difficult to find in the 21st century. Men nowadays, quote unquote, fall out of love with their wives, which is ridiculous and unscriptural if you ask me. They fall out of love with their wife. Their marriage vows are really not seen as vows in the sight of the Most High and their spouse, but rather they are looked at as empty words that have the meaning of something like, well, I'm trying this out, and if it works for me, hey, that's great, but if it doesn't, that's not a big deal. I can just get a divorce and continue searching for this Mrs. Wright. Now, these 50-year marriage veterans have a lot to teach a young man like myself. And I like to just sit down and humble myself in the presence of the elderly men that have been married for this long and listen and learn from the wise counsel that they can give. You know, I remember talking to a woman who had been married for several decades. And at the time, I think I had been married only about two or three years when I talked with her. And she said something to me. She said, son, the grass is not greener on the other side. It's just better kept. And when she said that, I smiled, and she smiled at me, but I knew exactly what she was saying, and those words have stayed with me since that day. I have to make every effort to apply those words to my relationship with my beloved wife. And if I want her to honor me, then I must love her as Scripture commands, just as Christ loves the church. Do you know what people who are married for that long still say? Everybody I've talked to that's been married for that long say that marriage is something that you have to work at. They say that they are still learning what it means to love their spouse. You know, I've never spoken to someone who's been married for this long who thinks they've got it all figured out. They don't. They recognize that although they've been through a whole lot, they are still continuing to learn about what things like sacrifice or commitment Thick and thin, till death do us part. They're learning about what all those concepts truly mean. I think it's just like life. I think that we never stop learning. And that means we should never stop growing and never stop studying different subjects. In this case, never stop studying about the subject of a holy, righteous marriage. I also know that some people will not be able to receive this because some people are just set in their ways. And I guess to an extent that might can be a good thing on some things, but it can also be not so good. See, if I can be shown how to make my job easier, then I need to let somebody show me. There's no sense in me continuing to do something the hard way just because that's how I've been accustomed to doing it. And at this point, what I need to do is keep my mouth shut and listen and learn from the older men. You know, I was just studying with my children yesterday in 1 Kings chapter 12, where Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, took over Solomon's place. The prophecy had already been given for Jeroboam to take over the ten tribes of Israel, and there would be one house that consisted of two tribes left of Rehoboam. And then Rehoboam went and sought the advice of the elderly men, and then he went and sought the advice of the young men. And he should have taken the advice of the elderly men. 
but instead he took the advice of the young whippersnappers and it got him in trouble. We have to recognize that we do not know everything there is to know. And I'm speaking to all of us in general, but specifically to us young married men. I've only been married for almost 16 years. There's men that have been married a lot longer than me. And with age comes wisdom. And with experience also comes wisdom. You know, I have seen and I do know just how much good marriages mean. Marriage is a lovely thing. Marriage is something that Yahweh adores and Yahweh loves. And divorce, on the other hand, is such a tragedy in people's lives. You know, not only does it affect the husband and the wife, divorce that is, but it also affects the family of the two people. That is, the parents of the husband and the parents of the wife, the siblings of the husband and the siblings of the wife, not to mention, and even more so, the children that have came about through that marriage relationship. You know, I just told someone the other day that you could illustrate it by throwing a rock into a lake. We used to skip rocks when we were little in the pond or in the lake. And the rock hits in one place, but the ripple effect extends outward from the place that the rock hits. The ripple may begin at the rock, but that's not where it ends. And this is how marriage problems that can lead to divorce, this is how they work. A fight might break out between spouses, and before you know it, the pride in one or in both of them eventually leads to them talking about getting a divorce. And the more that they talk about it, the more it seems more plausible and easier to stomach. And this type of talk may not be completely understood by little small children, but believe you me, it affects the little small children. I have friends who as children went through seeing their parents divorce and they have all told me even the friends that I have or acquaintances that I have that are not even Christian they've all told me that it left a scar upon their life. They told me that it was difficult to watch mom and dad fuss and fight scream and holler and they tell me how much it hurts to see the parents who took care of them at one time become enemies with each other and badmouth one another and live life separated from a certain point on. I've been told about how hard it was to get shuffled around as a child going from this house to that house and trying to comprehend that daddy loved someone other than mommy and that mommy lived with someone other than daddy. And then generally, if the parents are Christians when they're married and they think that divorce is the best option, what happens then is they fall further and further away from the faith and it doesn't happen overnight and sometimes they don't even realize that they're distancing themselves from Yahweh, the Heavenly Father, but yet they begin to get more and more unholy and unrighteous in their mannerisms and in their ways and in their speech. And they drop off from going to church. They drop off from reading their Bible. They drop off from praying and from fasting and from studying. And eventually they cannot be told apart from the world. Now, all of these thoughts in my head, among many others, that we're going to get to in the next several weeks, are why I've made the decision to begin this series of lessons on this radio broadcast. Now, I'll be the first man to say that I do not know everything there is to know about marriage. And I do not always apply the biblical principles of marriage in my own relationship with my wife. I'm a sinner, 
just like all other husbands. But I want to strive to become a better husband to my wife. I want to love her. I want to take care of her. I want to nurture her. You say, Brother Matthew, does she always feel like that way from you? No. I have to be honest when I answer that question because no, I'm not always being the best husband. As a matter of fact, most of the time I'm not. But I strive and I try. And when I mess up, I repent towards her and towards Yahweh. And I pick up the pieces and I try again. And I don't ever stop trying because I know the biblical principles. And those times in my life when I have applied those biblical principles accordingly, I've tried them. And you know what? They really do work because they are heavenly principles. They have the authority and the backing of Yahweh. They're not anything that man has come up with. And so what I need to do is make extra effort to apply them more than I have in the past, and that's what you husbands need to do as well. I need to wake up each morning and not only thank Yahweh for His blessings and for giving me another day to praise Him and live in service to Him, I need to also approach each day towards Yahweh, and I need to ask myself, what can I do today to please, to love, and to honor my beloved wife? How can I make my marriage even better? Now, men, how often do we, as husbands, ask ourselves these questions? We think, well, we're the man, and bless the Lord, she needs to honor me, she's the weaker vessel, and we talk all this pomp and circumstance and all this high-minded, lofty, prideful speech comes out of our mouth when the Scriptures have taught us that through us men serving and loving our wives, they will then respond in submissiveness to us. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, Christian man, if you will honor your wife and cherish her and serve her and love her as Christ does His church, she will not just submit to you. She will want and desire to submit to your authority because of the way that she is being treated. I guarantee you that that's the case. Why do I know that? Scripture teaches it. You know, some mornings I wake up thinking along these lines. I've got to do better. How can I love my wife? How can I please and honor her? But I've got to confess, there are some mornings where that's the furthest thing from my mind. I've completely forgotten about caring for my wife certain times. And in doing so, you know what? I've caused hurt feelings within her heart and within her mind. Now, in these particular times, she did not feel like she did when I was courting her or when we were first married. She didn't feel like she was the focal point of her husband. Instead, her husband, me, I was more concerned with work or with sports or a book or whatever. You know, something else was more pressing in my mind than the woman that I was supposed to be madly in love with. Instead of kissing her passionately before I left for work, I just said, oh, I'll see you later. And I walked out the door. And in her mind, she thinks, what in the world is going on here? He could have at least called me honey, or he could have at least gave me a hug or a kiss, or smiled or looked into my eye or grabbed me and told me how much he loved me before he left. Because after all, I don't know if that's going to be the last time that I'm going to be able to see my wife or not. So what I'd like to accomplish in these lessons 
as it rains here in the background. You can hear the rain on my tin roof, but we're going to keep just trucking on. What I'd like to accomplish in these lessons is to give us husbands a renewed passion for loving our wives. We have to love our wife, and you'll hear me say this a lot, as Christ loved the church. And I know you're probably thinking, yeah, I've heard that a million times, Brother Matthew, from a million different preachers. Well, if that's the thought that came into your head, husbands, you need to get that rotten attitude out of your mind. The odds are, if you're thinking like that, then you've only heard, love your wife as Christ loved the church, but you've never practiced it to see the effects that it will have on your wife. Christ's love for the church should be the ultimate goal in a man's relationship with his wife. Now, I want us men to wake up each morning and make our wives fall in love with us all over again. Now, I know how you think because I'm a man. I have a man's mindset. Some men are out there thinking, man, give me a break. You know, let's talk about some doctrine or, or let's deal with the calendar or let's talk about something that's meaty. You're thinking about all this. You know what? This is doctrine. This is meaty. This is important. You need to listen to me. You need to submit to the word of Yahweh. Okay? That's what needs to be done in your life. This needs to be primary. Because if you are so busy in your books and with your work and even with your doctrine studying and you are not taking time out for your wife and your children, you have missed the boat. You are disobeying Almighty Yahweh's commandment, man. And you need to repent is what you need to do. And you need to begin to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Listen, do you want your wife to serve you? as the church is called to serve Christ? Now, if your answer to these questions is no, then what you need is a good slap across the face by the Holy Spirit is what you need, a new heart and a new mind. But if your answer to these questions is yes, then you need to learn to take the initiative in your marriage. Quit waiting for your wife to do something and you pick up the ball and you, as the priest and the leader and the chief that you think you are, you take the initiative in your marriage. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, and Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, tell us that the husband is the head of the wife. Now, some men I can hear roaring right now. And what men do not often think of when they read passages like this is that if they are the head, then they are the ones that need to take the first step. We are always, I have heard man after man in counseling sessions tell me, that the wife doesn't do this and the wife doesn't do that. And when I tell them that they are the priest, they smile. But when I tell them that means they need to take the first step in fixing the marriage, they frown and they don't want to listen to me anymore. But I'm here to tell you tonight, if you are the boss or the leader on your job, then you sometimes have to make decisions for everybody else. You're the one who has to decide where the company needs to spend this large amount of money you are the one who has to set the example of how work should be accomplished at the workplace. What you want to do is let your employees see what it means to be a diligent worker. And the best way for you to do that is not by just always bossing them around with a haughty attitude. But the best way for you to do that is to set the example and let them see how much effort you put into the work. And how much time and mind you put into the business. 
and you work hard and you do your best and you go the extra mile and you do everything in a friendly manner and you know what? It's contagious. It rubs off on your employees. Now, I'm not saying that your wife is your employee. Don't get that in your mind. <laughs> All right, brothers? What I'm saying is that just as a boss begins by setting the example, a husband must begin by setting the example. So many men say, well, Brother Matthew, if she would just do this, then I could do my part. And I've heard that from so many husbands, always wanting to blame the way that they act on their wife. Why don't you quit worrying for a second about what your wife should be doing for you and instead concentrate on what the Bible teaches that you should be doing for her? Now, you are the head of the home, right? Well, if you are, take the first step. Be the chief. Be the example. And I guarantee you that if you treat your wife like a queen, she will not be able to help but treat you like a king. Now, does that sound good? Well, it sounds good to me, and I'm the one speaking it tonight. You can be the king of your home. You can be honored, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 3. But it's going to take some effort on your part as a husband. You cannot just expect it to fall into your lap without doing anything. You should know that anything worth doing, number one, is worth doing right, and anything that is going to benefit you is going to take effort. You know, I hear all these people with these get-rich-quick schemes in the world today, and it's ridiculous. I hear people even praying that they would win the lottery and all this kind of garbage. And we recently taught the children about Solomon's prayer when Yahweh visited him in his dreams. And Solomon didn't ask for riches. He asked for wisdom. And Yahweh blessed him with riches anyhow because where his heart was was with the wisdom that he wanted. Okay? So I tell my sons, here is the way that you can make a good living for yourself. It's a four-letter word called work. W-O-R-K. Get out and work and sweat by your face profusely. Work with your hands. Blister your hands. Cut yourself Get dirty and smelly and stinky and work for a living. And you know what? Eventually, all the effort will benefit you. It will pay off. You'll live in a nice home. You'll drive a nice vehicle. You'll have nice property. You'll have a good garden plot. You'll have animals that you're blessed by. Okay? You will have things, and you'll be able to share with other people, but you have to be a man that works and is not afraid to put forth the effort. And the same thing goes with your marriage. You are not going to have a good marriage, much less a great marriage, if you do not put the effort in as the husband. You're the priest. The buck starts and stops with you. You have to take the first step in your marriage. So, I've got a few more minutes here, and what I'd like to begin to do is I would like to get into Paul's letter to the city of Ephesus. We're going to start to learn about how you can be a better husband to your wife. Now, you might wonder, what in the world is Ephesus, Brother Matthew, and how in the world is Ephesus going to make me love my wife? Well, let's just slow down for a second, and I want you to take the time with me to go back in time 
and to discover a portion of a letter that was written about 2,000 years ago, approximately, to husbands. The author of the letter is Paul the Apostle, and the recipients of the letter are the saints at the city of Ephesus. And because they live in Ephesus, they're known as Ephesians. Now, Ephesians might be more familiar with you because that is one of the epistles of the New Testament. You know, I heard a story one time about an elderly man who had been married for 50 years. And this man wanted to take out him and his wife's best friends for dinner. And the two men decided that they would sit in the front of the car so they could talk about the things that men like to talk about. Now you might be saying, well, Brother Matthew, I thought we were going to talk about Ephesians. I know I'm going to get there. This thought and this story is coming to my mind. Let me share it. <laughs> so these two elderly men are sitting up in the front of the car, and they're having this man talk, okay? And as he begins to drive down the road, he turned to his friend, and he remarked that there was this one particular restaurant that he was searching for, but he just couldn't think of the name of the restaurant. He couldn't think of the name of the place. So after a few minutes of thinking, he turned again to his friend and he asked him, he said, Hey, bud, what's the name of that flower? You know, the one with the green stem and the thorns and the beautiful red, pink, or yellow petals. You know, the one us men like to get our wives a dozen of. And his friend looked over at him and he said, Are you talking about a rose? And the man thanked his friend. And then the man that was driving the car turned around to the back of the car and said, Hey, Rose, honey, what's the name of that restaurant we like so much? <laughs> That's not where you need to be with your wife. You need to know her name and remember her name. Amen? Well, let's hope that your relationship with your wife hasn't gotten that far off course. The duty of the husband is not to forget his wife's name. Well, that's for sure. But remembering your wife's name should be a cinch, and I know that. But what I'm here to discuss is much bigger things than that. And I want to start with the basics. We'll get to Ephesians 5 soon, and maybe we'll just save Ephesians 5 for next week. First thing we have to do is to understand the meaning of the word husband. The English word husband is derived from the Old English term husbanda, and that means the male head of the house. This word is in turn most likely from the Old Norse word, that is the Norwegian language that was spoken from about 100 to 1500 A.D., and that is the word husbandi, meaning master of the house. And this is taken from two basic words, hus, meaning house, and bondi, meaning householder. So to be the master of the house doesn't mean that we rule our houses with a rod of iron. It does mean that we rule our house, but it doesn't mean that we rule our houses with a rod of iron. A leader's best way to lead is by example. That is the best way that you could ever lead. Apostle Peter wrote in his epistle, 1 Peter 5, 1-3, how that the elders of the Christian assemblies should not lord over the flock, that is the people, but rather lead by example. Uh, when Paul wanted to teach people that it was more blessed to give than it was to receive, you know what he did? He taught that by giving himself. He didn't require something of someone else that he was not willing to do himself. And if we are to learn anything about what it means to be a biblical ruler and a biblical husband, we have to go to the Bible. It is the scripture that will teach us what we need to know about this area of our lives, and the scripture teaches us that the best way to lead 
is by example. You're not going to learn how to be a husband by reading non-Christian books for husbands. Such books might contain certain good points, but it's always going to lack because of its non-Christian, non-biblical worldview. That's why we got to go to the Scriptures, like Ephesians 5, like 1 Peter 5. The world standards can be set by the world. They're subject to change. What was good for a husband 100 years ago might not be good for a husband in the year 2013, at least according to society. But that's not how it works with Yahweh. What was good 4,000 years ago for husbands will work for you and me with our wives. Yahweh's standards are truly that good. They never fail. It is always human nature and humanity that fails to apply them. And the standard that you need to learn, and I'll end with tonight, is that the best way to lead is by example. And if you want your wife to serve you, then you need to set forth the example of service and love towards her, and I guarantee she will serve you. I've got to go now. We will pick this back up next week. Listen for the contact information at the end of the broadcast. Shalom. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.